All three of West Virginia's congressional representatives are planning to run for re-election next year. The thing is, starting in 2022, the state's only going to have two seats in Congress. So yeah, things are going to get messy. It's the Hunger Games meets musical chairs. That's what it goes to Ali Mutnick, who's been reporting on how the reapportionment of congressional seats is going to reshape politics across the country, including situations like this one, where you've got three sitting Republicans duking it out for two seats. This really is the most intensely personal part of redistricting. Everyone wants a seat. There are only two seats. Everybody's maneuvering to try to figure out how they stay in Congress. And it's just the kind of election drama that you only get once every 10 years. This can only happen when the number of districts in the state is changing. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Ali Mutnick on the wild West Virginia redistricting showdown. Newly released data shows that our portrait of America is changing and changing dramatically. Data from the 2020 census is finally out after being delayed by the pandemic. And So every 10 years, the census comes out and the 435 congressional seats are reallocated among the 50 states accordingly. So if your state is gaining in population faster than other states, you'll get more congressional seats. If your state is declining in population relative to other states, then you, or not growing as quickly, you'll lose a congressional seat. So West Virginia is declining, and so it is losing a congressional seat, and it only has three. <laughs> so it's going down to two. So you have this situation where there are three incumbent members of Congress, but there are only going to be two seats coming up in 2022. I want to talk about like the dynamics of, of sort of what that sets up for re-election races. But first, like, what logistically happens here when you do go from three seats to two seats? Like, what what happens map-wise? So the West Virginia State Senate and State House have to agree on a way to divide the state in half. Okay. Um, and they can do that in a surprisingly, there's a lot of different ways. They propose dozens of maps hmm. of how to draw one line across the state. <laughs> but I think the big picture, you could go from north to south, you could go from east to west. And two incumbents will be in the same district no matter what. <laughs> yeah. OK, so we have these uh, three members of Congress um, who, who are going to see at least two of them are going to see their seats become sort of another one. Um, who are these members of Congress and how are we sort of seeing them receive this this news and what's going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, this is the most personal part of redistricting, and it happens every cycle, but in states that are small, and especially if the members are all from one party, it's the most awkward because they see it coming, um, they know their colleagues, and they all have to decide, you know, how badly do you want to stay in Congress? So David McKinley is the uh, dean of the West Virginia House delegation. He's been um, in Congress the longest, and he has really been advocating for a map that would give him his own district um, and separate what he calls the two growth areas of the states, put two mm. of the fastest growing areas in two different districts. But that also has the effect of giving him his own seat. Mm. He's the most centrist of the three. He voted to certify both Pennsylvania and Arizona in the 2020 election. Uh -huh. He voted to create the January 6th commission. So he's really kind of 
known as a moderate. Uh, Alex Mooney is probably the most conservative. He is a member of the House Freedom Caucus. He has the most money, $2.5 million in the bank. And something that's really interesting about Mooney is that he his roots are in Maryland. He was a mm. former Maryland state senator. He was chairman of the Maryland Republican Party, and he actually crossed the border into the eastern panhandle of West Virginia to run for Congress in 2014. Interesting. So he could be opening up some carpetbagger attacks. And in the South is Carol Miller. She's billed herself as the most pro-Trump, and she was elected in 2018. She's on Ways and Means. She's a member of the NRCC Recruitment Committee, so she's got a lot of clout in D.C. And all three of them are planning to run for re-election at this point. Yes, all three insist they're running for Congress again. You could see some retire, but I think they all kind of want to take their chances and see because they bring different baggage to the table, different strengths, um, and... You could see this shaking out in a lot of different ways. So when will we know how exactly this turns out? Like you mentioned, those there are those ideas to like split the state in half, north-south, east-west. Um, when and how will we find out exactly what it'll it'll look like? So the state Senate Redistricting Committee advanced a map to the full Senate that would loop David McKinley and Alex Mooney in one district in the north and give Carol Miller her own district in the south. Um, that right now is probably the most likely outcome, but the Senate has to approve that and then the House has to decide what they're thinking and they have to come to the table and negotiate. But the hope is that this is all wrapped up in the next seven days, that by next Monday, their special session um, is, is nearing its close and that they've decided on a map. Given that we are going to ultimately see two sitting members of Congress, two Republican members of Congress probably duking it out for one seat, um, do you think we could sort of see that like classic um, Republican, like in inner party fight dynamic of the sort of like who who's more Trumpy or who's less Trumpy um, play out in, in this race? Yeah, definitely. Because the most likely outcome is that David McKinley and Alex Mooney run against each other. Hmm. Um, and McKinley is is much more centrist than Mooney. He's taken votes that I think Alex Mooney and his camp feel they can definitely weaponize against him in a primary related to January 6th and uh, the certification of the 2020 election. So I, I think there are very clear contrasts there. But McKinley obviously has you know, longstanding relationships in the state and, and good establishment connections. So I think there'll be a lot of interesting stories coming out of that primary if they both run. Mm. Redistricting is going on across the country after the latest census. Are we seeing this happen anywhere else um, in other states? And are there any like lessons we can learn from this situation in West Virginia? So it'll definitely happen in other states. But we I, I feel like and this could be because the census data was delayed. But it's not clear what the other incumbent on incumbent matchups are going to be yet. We find those mm. out most quickly in small states like West Virginia, Rhode Island, which has two Democrats um, in the census projections was slated to drop down to one at large district. And um, it didn't end up doing that. So both of the Democratic congressmen there get to keep a seat. I think we could see some other incumbent matchups in California and Michigan um, in states that are larger with commissions, but they're farther away from finishing the process yet. So this is has all the attention for now. As someone who's always reporting on, you know, redistricting and, and the way sort of these geographic regions where, where voting is happening uh, shapes the, the politics um, playing out on, on the national stage, what do you find most fascinating about this story, about this situation? Well, I think 
what I'm most interested in this redistricting cycle is how different parties grapple with the like wide population and demographic swings we've seen in the Trump era. There are places outside of West Virginia that look totally different between 2016, 2018, and 2020. South Florida went, you know, heavily for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Four years later, Trump did extraordinarily well there. Um, and now we have to redraw political lines with a very conflicting sense of data. They point to different things. So everybody's trying to make a bet on, you know, whether or not these Trump era trends are going to last. If they make the wrong bet, they're stuck with those lines for the next 10 years. So we're redistricting in a very interesting time. And it's fascinating. West Virginia, I think you can probably make a pretty safe bet that all, all the, the two districts are going to be Republican no matter what, and they're going to be very pro-Trump. But in other areas of the country, there are bigger questions. Ali Mutnick, thanks so much for talking with me. Anytime. Also today... Southwest Airlines and American Airlines, which both are based in Texas, say they'll continue plans to require employees to get vaccinated, despite an edict issued by Texas Governor Greg Abbott that would ban vaccine mandates for private businesses in the state. Abbott signed the sweeping order on Monday. After last month, the Biden administration said it will require that businesses with 100 employees or more must mandate vaccines or receive weekly COVID tests. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki called the federal rules legal mandate, quote, unquestionable, and said that Abbott is just playing politics. And... A divided Supreme Court is weighing which state officials can defend abortion bans in court, a procedural question with implications that extend beyond reproductive health in states where the governor and attorney general hail from different parties. The arguments heard by the court on Tuesday marked the first abortion case to be argued in full before the court's 6-3 to three conservative majority and centered on whether Republican Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron could defend his state's ban on some forms of abortion after two courts found it unconstitutional and Democratic Governor Andy Bashir refused to defend it further. A decision in the case is expected next summer and could extend beyond abortion to COVID mandates, gun control laws, and even election results. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Global Insider and the Playbook Daily Briefing. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.